all, thanks for joining us on the Cream of the Crop podcast dedicated to agriculture. We talk to top leaders, share top ideas, and discuss top trends and products. We get to the heart of ag and put the issues on the table. Hey there, welcome to the Cream of the Crop podcast. I am your host, Bristol Wells, joined with your co-host, Steve Maxwell. Today we have Bud Childs, the National Director of American Grown Incorporated, and Kaylin Royal, who works alongside him to help educate and advocate for the American grower. To start off, I want to ask Bud to share a little bit of your backstory. Luckily, both of our guests were born into ag, so they both have unique stories to bring to the table. But Bud, you are a child, and that goes without saying that people know you and your family. So can you tell us what growing up in the ag industry was like for you? Thank you, Bristol, and I appreciate having a chance to be on your podcast here, Steve. I, I really appreciate what you're doing as well. I think this is tremendously valuable to the uh, agricultural community, to the farmers and the consumers to be able to, you know, get insights from growers. So I appreciate being able to participate. You know, I grew up in Polk County. You guys know about Polk County. You know, when we were kids, citrus was everywhere. And, you know, we would be out at night on the cold nights firing the groves. And, you know, my father and my brother and I, we grew close and bonded from being in the woods and being in, out in nature in central Florida. It was a passion of his. The land and rural pull were a passion of his early on in his political career. He shared that with us. He raised us to really respect and value and be good stewards of Florida's nature to understand woodsmanship and to be able to spend the night in the woods and to just enjoy it. And along the way, my dad had a few interesting agricultural adventures, uh, none very successful, not nearly as successful as his political career. But he got involved in cattle at one point and growing watermelons. And I think the issue that was challenging for him was that he was also doing the law and the political stuff. And so he didn't get his full attention and it probably didn't go very well. But anyway, I grew up with that. And then most of my life, honestly, has been working and involved around growing up in a political family, being involved in government affairs and public affairs. And, you know, early on in my life, I started a company with my wife and became a significant public affairs, public relations company and represented large clients in Florida and around the country. And as I mentioned to Steve the other day, after doing that for quite a few years, we had a chance to become part of an international charity and run a global sector, really working on helping children from resource-poor communities connect to medical care and in Africa doing rural health and in the Caribbean and Haiti especially. So that was a great experience. And so later in my career, I became a blueberry farmer. And that's because we inherited this wonderful plantation that my dad bought. They carved out from him from Shimoni Plantation. And we really decided, you know, that we to do something on the land and explored the blueberry area and found, you know, farmers willing to help us and, you know, a lot of great expertise at the University of Florida and the University of Georgia. So we decided to make a pretty significant investment. We started 50 acres of blueberries and over five or six years, we've converted to all organic. So we're one of the few organic blueberry growers in Florida and that's been quite an experience. We uh, grew a lot of weeds going from conventional to organic. But if I had a nickel for every weed I'd grow, I'd be doing really well. So that's a little bit about my background and about how we got into it. But for our listening audience, you and I are roughly the same age, but I recall your father for the listening audience, Bud's dad was Lawton Childs, who 
was a governor here in the state of Florida, great governor for our state. And I can remember his campaign. I guess when he was running for Senate when he did the walk across Florida. But we lived in a county park in Hillsborough County growing up, and they had a lot of political rallies during election years. And I can recall watching your dad walk down Highway 39 all the way into the entrance of the park, all the way down to a political rally where he gave a speech. That's my first memory of your father. And that was his claim to fame. He walked the state of Florida in a pair of Brogan boots to really connected with the average American out there. And he was a class. great governor. Mm-hmm. Working class, yeah. It sounds like to me that loving the land is in your blood for sure, which I think is probably what led to the reason that we asked you to be on this podcast is the American Grown Incorporated that you have started. So how did that become a thing? How was it birthed and what inspired you to start something like this? Well, we're about a year old, American Grown Inc. What really sparked that was a conviction that I have had for several years as I've got into the commercial side of the business. You know, when you grow 50 acres and you have 150,000, 200,000 pounds of berries, you can't sell them all, can't eat them all. you got to figure out how you're going to sell them. So that involves getting into the commercial market. Honestly, that's been a pretty big disappointment in the business for us. In the years that we've been doing this, we've seen the, uh, the degradation and the erosion of our blueberry market, our domestic blueberry market in Florida and Georgia, just the rise dramatic rise of blueberry food products coming across the border from Mexico and now Peru, Colombia, Chile, Argentina. Well, what's happened on the commercial side or where is that the ability to grow that blueberry is so much cheaper. It has just taken a huge bite out of our market and depressed our prices to the point where in the commercial market, it's really not a viable enterprise anymore. That's a hard pill to swallow because of my background in public issues and the ability to work in the public arena and organize public relations kinds of activities. I sort of decided, look, I'm going to do something about this. And I got in touch with a few growers in Florida and Georgia, and I asked them to come to a meeting on the border of Florida and Georgia in Lake City. And we got our ag commissioner to come over and speak. And really, I thought we'd have a handful of growers. We had a hundred growers from all over Georgia and Florida show up. It underscored that we've reached a desperation point, you know, in our industry. And that was the birth, really, of American Grown. And we created a board and we built a website and social media platforms. And we began putting messages out that has really been incredibly well responded to by consumers and the public. And so we've expanded into multiple states around the country and also to uh, almost every ag sector, dairy, meat, produce, in terms of farmers being involved in the messaging going across ag sectors. So for the listeners, what is American Grown? Like, what do you guys do? Our really purpose and goal is to educate and engage the consumers of America, Florida, Georgia, you know, around the country about the crisis in Florida and American agriculture. Time Magazine did a story about a year ago, farm in crisis, you know, American farm extinction. And it really is true. I mean, if you look at, at our market during our fresh season and, you know, we in American Grill, we don't really have any beef with imports per se. You know, I think that's good and helpful for people to be able to get foods year round. But the ability to flood our markets during our season when our farmers have to make their income. And an example of that is this year, 66% of the market in the grocery stores in Florida and Georgia during our season in March, April, and May was Mexican product. So we've gone from almost 100%, you know, four or five years ago to less than a third. If you look at the tomato industry, you know, 80% of the product that's in the stores now is coming from third world countries. And that's across the board, eggplant, onions and lettuces and you name it. So what we're doing is educating consumers and the public to understand, look, this is a national security issue. We're losing our domestic food supply in a dramatic way. 
And these policies, the NAFTA followed by USMCA that allow, you know, American companies to invest heavily in the third world and outsource our products there because it's cheaper and they can make more money. And to come into our markets and put American farms out of business, there has to be a unified effort by farmers to break that cycle. And that's what American Grown is about is educating consumers, engaging them to speak up in support of the, their local farmers. And that's working very well so far. And Bud, this is Steve again. I know in our world, we've kind of dedicated ourselves as well to try to mainly become a platform for education. Have you found what we have found that the average consumer does not even understand our distribution of food? Are you finding those same questions not being answered properly by them? Absolutely. There's no question. There's a small segment of the public that really, you know, they're foodies, so they care food safety or health and nutrition, so they want local product. And Steve, even if they go into the store looking for this foreign or is this American it's very hard to tell because the power that the marketing industry has and the fact that a small number of companies have been able to take over essentially the control of the marketing of our foods has caused a lot of this to happen because this is not unusual in America's economy, you know, for cell phones or car parts, industrial parts to be done in third world and brought in where the labor's cheaper and the regulations are lax. But when it happens to our food, it's hard to be a great power, you know, if you don't have your own food supply, if you're dependent on a country like Mexico for your food supply. And I think the pandemic has really opened people's eyes in the public to the concern they need to have about, you know, where their food's coming from. And you're right. They don't know. And if they are educated, they do care. And they want to know what's authentic is an American product. And that's kind of where we've moved into certification and labeling. I know there was a time in our country when it was very important. I have evidence of that. I was able to purchase my wife and I, my grandfather's old farm there in Grady County, Georgia, just north of Tallahassee in Cairo. He passed away several years ago, but he raised a family of five on about a 175-acre farm, which is unheard of today. But we were going through his paperwork, and one of the things that always bothered him is he was not able to serve his country in World War II. And the reason for that, I found his draft card, and he was not qualified because he was a farmer, and the U.S. government said farmers were more important staying home growing our domestic food than they are going off to war. They were serving in a different way, but he always, you know, didn't feel good about that. But there was a time when our leaders nationally recognized the food supply was absolutely critical and they literally had policies that made sure the food supply stayed intact. And I think that's all you're asking for with American Grown is recognize what's going on and let's put policies in place and get the consumer involved. Make sure that these growers, our local food supply is intact. And like you said, the coronavirus has really brought this to light in the last few weeks. I think too, for consumers being involved, we also have Kaylin Royal who's here. He's not an employee of American Grown. Grown Incorporated. So I think that his perspective is certainly valued here. So can you tell us the story about how you got involved with American Grown Incorporated? I grew up in the agricultural industry, have a strong family background. My granddaddy, he was a fourth generation citrus grower. So my dad grew up working in the groves, uh, working cows, doing a variety of different things in the agricultural industry. And so growing up, my dad was a grower division rep for a large citrus co-op in the state of Florida. Spent a lot of time riding in the back seat of his his, uh, vehicle instead of going to preschool. I joke now that he was training me for uh, my future career 
And then we also had commercial cow-calf operations, so spent a lot of time in the cow pasture and cow pens. So growing up in that background, I had a different view on agriculture than most uh, people that were not involved in the industry because growing up, dad taught the importance of supporting American farmers, American ranchers. I can recall not being able to eat at a particular fast food restaurant because they had publicly came out and said that they didn't supply American beef or use American beef at their restaurants. So it was ingrained in me at a young age to support the American farmers and ranchers. And so when Bud came out with the Demand American Grown campaign, I had heard about it and I got the opportunity to meet him in Savannah, Georgia, where he rolled this out at the Southeast Fruit and Vegetable Conference. And I just uh, got to catch up with him, had a brief conversation, exchanged numbers and gave him a call the following week. And we just hit it off. And I told him, I said, listen, I'm here to do anything I can to support our farmers and ranchers. My job, I work for a family owned company working with farmers across the Southeast United States. And it's become evident over the last four years that regardless of of whether growers are in Florida, Georgia, Alabama, wherever they're at, they're going through the same issues, trying to get their crops to market. Unfortunately, I've seen too many growers that couldn't withstand the competition and they've gone under due to foreign competition. And so that kind of drove me to do more because you develop friendships with these growers as you get to know them and you see their struggles and to sit back and do nothing was hard. I think that there's certain things too about the simplicity of a conversation. Like you literally just had a conversation with Bud and this is what was born from it. So I think for consumers, having a conversation is really important. I know before the podcast, we were talking about a conversation you recently had. Could you share the story about where you just went to talk about the Demand American Grown campaign and what that turned into? I had the opportunity, my mom's a Rotarian, and so I went and spoke to the Rotary Club of Hardy County about the importance of purchasing American-grown produce. You know, it was really well-received. There was a lot of people that had questions, you know, how do I know? And they weren't sure about how to read labels, and I think that's a big thing is labeling of produce and, and educating consumers on how to properly read produce labels. Not being a Rotarian, I don't run into many of those people very often, but here in the past week, I ran into a member of that Rotary Club. They were asking me how business was going and all that. And then they proceeded to tell me before giving that talk, they never really gave any thought to where their produce was coming from. But after that, they really pay attention now and it's on their mind. And so I think that just having those conversations and putting yourself out there to different social clubs and even people in the grocery store, educating them when they're looking at produce is what we got to do as both agriculturalists and consumers. Kaylin, you mentioned something too, I think, and Bud, I'd love to get your input on this, but you know, it sounds like it can be a gripe session, you know, we can't compete with the situation, but really it's not that at all. And I share with our people all the time, the free enterprise system is the greatest system in the world. It's lifted more people out of poverty than any system in the history of the world, but it's based on the premise that everybody plays by the same rules. And so what, what we've got a situation here is the American growers are playing by the same rules, same EPA rules rules, same labor rules. But when you begin importing with a fraction of the labor cost and the fraction of the cost of regulation, now you've got an unfair practice field. So what happens is the marketers are in a unique position where they can capitalize on that and the retailers can capitalize on that cheaper product, but it's at the expense of the players that have to play by a different set of rules, which is our U.S. growers. So, but I'd like you to comment on that. Do you agree with that assessment? 
that's exactly right. And I think that is so important to be able to explain that to consumers. You know, farmers are awesome people, but they tend to be independent. And I think over the years, it's like you said earlier, Steve, that people have kind of been under the impression that our government and our farm policies would continue to protect our ability to make a reasonable profit for the risk and the investment that we take as farmers. Unfortunately, because of the clout of what you just said and the power of these marketing companies and the amount of money they're able to make by outsourcing and buying low and selling high, they've been able to control, you know, things like country of origin labeling and discussion that goes on in USMCA that allows, you know, products to come across the border with no price disparity on the fact that they're paying $6 a day for a 12-hour day in Mexico and we're paying $15 an hour. I mean, the math doesn't work. The playing field is anything but level. Again, that's a matter of trying to unify, and that's what American Grown is also, you know, what the goals and objectives are. Let's get unified across, you know, the dairymen and citrus people and the guys growing fruit and produce and cattlemen and the beef people. Let's get unified and speak with a voice that really demands that, you know, look, this is about our national security. Let's make sure that we maintain this domestic food supply and let's make sure we get the public back on our side. And I'm hopeful that can happen. I think you said two things that caught my attention, and that was that unity and national security are important. And what you're doing is really conveying that to not only consumers, but agriculturalists as well. Just so our listeners are clear, can you tell us the difference between the Demand American Grown campaign and then just American Grown Incorporated? It's really subtle. American Grown Inc. is a nonprofit company that really the slogan and the doing business as is Demand American Grown. And that's kind of the rallying cry, Demand American Grown for consumers as they go into the market, talk to their produce or meat managers in the store, you know, and for the public community groups to step up and help us fight to restore, you know, local control of the food market back to the local community. The other day we did a podcast with Miss Beth from Anna's Garden, and she mentioned in her podcast, and the more I listen to it, the more I'm catching it and people are asking about it. But she said that she was going to put a Demand American Grown or an American Grown label on her product and that she was involved in this campaign. Can you tell us how growers can get involved in this? Like, what does that look like? Is it a label or is it just an advocacy part? Yeah, I mean, again, as a response to the confusion that's by design that goes on in the stores over labeling, literally like beef can come across from Mexico or Brazil and be repackaged and called American grown. That's just crazy that that can happen. And so we've come up with this concept of certification and labeling. We started this in South Florida, and now it's going on around the country. And it's different from like the Fresh from Florida program or the Georgia Grown program or Colorado Proud. Each state has a marketing program like that. The problem with those programs is they're great for marketing the product, but they're not great for authenticity or accountability because there's not enough cops on the beat. There's not enough people looking over the shoulder to see, hey, they're bringing all this product in from Brazil and putting it under the Fresh from Florida label. There's no one there to blow the whistle. And so our certification program is done at the local level by the local industry, whether it's tomato guys or lettuce guys or beef people and the local community and the farm organizations in that community. So once you get certified and it's pretty simple to do once you get validated by, you know, your local grower community. You say, yeah, we're truly an American farm. Then you're able to use the American Grown label. And as we promote Demand American Grown and consumers see that as, you know, okay, well, that's authentic. This is seriously an American family farm product. And then they see that label. It's a great opportunity as we build that. And we've got hundreds of thousands of labels out there already, but it's a great opportunity for a farmer to move from a commodity to a brand and for marketers to start seeing, hey, the consumers want American 
American grown, we better be, you know, stocking food with that label. That's what we're moving towards. So any growers that want to be involved in this, would they just go to your website to get that information? They go to our website, get in touch with us, and, you know, we'd work them through the process. I think this whole concept, even just labeling itself, but American grown produce in general, can seem really overwhelming to not only consumers, but to growers as well. Especially for those consumers, when this problem does get overwhelming and they feel like, does it even matter? Am I even making a difference by asking for the Florida tomato versus the tomato from another country? What do you say to a consumer that may say that to you? I realize that. And I realize that the issue here is we don't need 80% or even 60% of consumers to be active with this. You know, in my town, there's 300,000 people. And, you know, if 3% of those people are active or 20% of the community groups that are in town, whether they're environmental or sustainable or food groups or community organizations get active, then the pressure that comes on retailers is intense. And there's quick response. But I think what's happened under the pandemic has been exciting because, you know, our messages now are being viewed by people on a tenfold basis than they were maybe three months ago. And so I think there are a lot more people now after we had to depend on China for our essential medical devices in the pandemic. And now, you know, the food crisis that's going on. The underscore of all underscores on this whole issue is $500 million worth of farm products in Florida were either plowed under or poured on the ground. And meanwhile, there's all the foreign products that are on the shelf when that's happening. So that, I think, is making consumers seeing that and understanding that. And that makes them angry. And I think there is beginning of a movement here. But it doesn't take everybody. Yeah, but I was going to say, I recently met with the owner of a large chain store. If I mentioned their name, everybody here would know who they were. And we were discussing the same thing. And the illustration I gave them was, let's just take the avocado industry, for example. 25 years ago, the first NAFTA, the avocados began moving south. And what's happened, you can't grow an avocado avocado crop, like a row crop, like a squash crop or something like that. So what's happened over the last 25 years, that industry has shifted south. Most of your American growers are out of the business. Even if that chain were to decide today, we're going to promote U.S. growing avocados, there are no more avocados here. So we're trying to avoid that. I think this COVID thing is all of a sudden we woke up, our medicines are made in China, our respirators are made in China. It was a wake-up call. And we're seeing the same thing with our food supply. And we have time to recover right now. That's right. And our friend Chalmers Carr in South Carolina another great example. I mean, here's a guy that's growing, you know, one of the most significant growers in the South, broccoli and peaches and row crops. And, you know, if there's a thousand acres that Chalmers won't plant this next season because he can't compete, uh, you know, with what's coming across the border. And look at the economic hit that is to his, the communities that he serves as well as, you know, to his own farm operation. I know we've seen in our community just recently through this pandemic, putting a lot of pressure on retailers. It's had a really good turnout. The more pressure we can put on them, the more change that's going to be made. So I like what you said about that. Kaylin, if you could just give us like on a consumer side, maybe just like one piece of advice for a consumer and how to demand an American grown product. Like, what does that look like? I think there's a lot of different ways that you can go about demanding an American grown product. Obviously, talking to your retailers is one, but you know, there's a lot of farms out there that sell direct to consumers, a lot of farms that do you pick. So you can demand American grown personally. It doesn't just have to be at the store. There's opportunities out there to go support local farmers in a variety of different ways. You know, just carrying it onto social media and your other platforms, whether it be going and talking to social clubs and educating other consumers about why you're buying American grown products and why you're supporting American farmers. I think that's really cool to think about that something so big and so challenging can be simplified down to have the conversation, show up, talk to someone and just share that passion. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I think just this little nugget of advice and education is really important. So 
So for those listeners that want to know more, we'll put their website down and you guys feel free to reach out and let us know if you have questions. Bud, thanks for joining us. And Caitlin, thank you for joining us. And I close every one of these out when I have the opportunity to say thank you for what you do, first of all. But more importantly, thank you for who you are. You're the fabric of our nation, the backbone of our nation. What you're doing is taking risk out there every day in order to feed our families. And we appreciate what you do and who you are. Thank you for joining us today. This podcast has been a presentation of Has Media, copyright 2020, all rights reserved. Be sure to follow us on social media, Instagram and Facebook at Highland Ag Solutions.